Hey everybody, Nate Clark here. I'm the pastor of Oasis Church here in Richmond, Virginia. We pray that this podcast is helpful and encouraging to you in your life. Here's today's message. We're going to go to Luke chapter 24. Anybody ready for God's word this morning? Luke chapter 24. We're starting a new collection of talks for the month of August called We Are Oasis. And uh, if you're new to our church family, what we're going to be doing over the next month is talking about who we are as a church, what's important to us as a church, what do we value as a church. And it's important for us to value it collectively, we have to value it individually. We can't be a group of people that's accomplishing something if individually we're not accomplishing that thing. In order for us to do it as a church, we've got to do it individually as people. And so we're going to be talking about our different values as a church. And we're starting out this week with our first one, our most important one. And uh, the next four are in no particular order over the the remainder of the month. But this week is the most important one. And uh, Luke chapter 24 is what we're going to read. And I've got a lot of scripture I'm going to read for you. But we love the Bible here at Oasis. So that's okay with you. Is that okay with you? Luke 24, verse number 13. Now the same day, two men were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. They're referring to the fact that Jesus had died and been crucified and there had been witnesses and now people were talking about uh, his body was stolen, they saw him, he's alive. There's kind of rumors happening. That's the climate that they're talking about. Verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing them. Don't you love this? Jesus will just insert and inject himself into your life without you even wanting him to. It's the grace of God. He just comes to you when you're not looking for him. He just shows up when you didn't call him because he's after you. He's after you. And uh, verse number 17, he says, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas, he asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? He's almost like insulting Jesus. Like you're the only one that's been living under a rock. You're the only one that has no idea what's happening here. And I love Jesus just poking and prodding a little bit. What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. So first he was conversational. First he was casual. Now he's hitting them. Now he's calling them fools. Now he's beginning to speak some truth into their lives. He says, did you not know the Messiah Messiah had to suffer these things and then enter his glory? In verse 27, I love this. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village, to which they were going, Jesus continues on as if he were going farther. They urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with him, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. 
and they di- and he disappeared from their sight. And they ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. So they were leaving Jerusalem, but now they've seen Jesus and know who Jesus is. And Jesus has opened their eyes. And for whatever reason, plans have changed. They're going back. How many know Jesus will change your plans? If you're heading one way and you meet Jesus and don't go another direction, you probably didn't meet Jesus. Because when you meet Jesus, your direction has changed. They're going back. And they said, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon and then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Today around our time in God's word, we're gonna talk about this as we kick off our collection, We Are Oasis. Uh, Today's title is this, Jesus is our message. Jesus is our message. So Father, thank you for your word and thank you for these moments that we share around your word. And Lord, I pray that you would do what I cannot and that is change our hearts and change our lives. Father, I pray we wouldn't just come into a building today to sing a song and hear a talk, but Lord, we'll be here from you today. So Lord, our hearts are open, our ears are open to receive what you have for us. Speak to us today in Jesus' name. And if you believe it, somebody say amen. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, you can take a seat, socially distant, wave at somebody. Say you look good today through your mask. You look great today through your mask. Oh, man. Happy Sunday, Oasis Church. It's great to see you all uh, here this morning. And um, again, I said it before, but I'm so excited about this season for us as a church, this season of uh, prayer and fasting. We're believing God for, for a lot of great things in our lives. Our, our theme around this next two weeks is hunger and thirst. We're asking God to increase our desire for His ways. We're asking God to increase our desire for him and his presence. And so uh, each week over the next, four, or I'm sorry, each day over the next 14 days, we're gonna be uh, praying together through Facebook Live. Uh, we don't have a place to meet throughout the week, and so we're gonna jump on Facebook Live at 7 a.m. during the week, and uh, we're gonna talk about uh, our prayer point for that day. We're gonna talk about um, the scripture. We'll be posting a prayer point and a scripture every day on Instagram and Facebook for you guys uh, to have some uh, some help and some guide in your prayer and fasting over the next two weeks. And then at 7 a.m., we'll get on Facebook Live and just have a prayer time together as a church uh, through Facebook. And then Saturday, we'll do it at 8 a.m. We give you extra hour sleep on Saturday. So uh, for those of you with kids, you're like, yeah, right, yeah, right. But uh, uh, Saturday at 8 and during the week at 7 uh, for the next two weeks. So feel free to join us there. We're excited to see God uh, during this time together. And I also want to say a special welcome to everybody tuning in through the podcast that's listening to this throughout the week uh, on your car and your commute. We have several hundred people each week that tune in and listen to the podcast. So shout out to the podcast community. Uh, For everybody in the room, can you just say what's up to the podcast community? One, two, three. We love you. Thanks for tuning in with us uh, here this week. Luke chapter 24 is an incredible story. If, 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 if you want to know uh, how to do evangelism, like how to share your faith, Luke chapter 24 is a, a chapter you need to study. Jesus is an incredible evangelist sharing himself, but Jesus, this is another sermon for another day. We'll get there later. I, I, this is something I'm super passionate about. We'll get this another day, Emily. Don't worry. All right, we're going to get there. But uh, he, he's, he's an evangelist. It's great. If you want to know, just study Luke chapter 24. Jesus casually just strolls up 
to these guys. And it's like the classic conversation, maybe you've had it in your life, where you're like talking with people that don't get it. Anybody had these conversations? You're just like, you're like, you're saying one thing, they're hearing another. Like, you, you might as well be speaking two different languages. It's not, they're just, they're, they're not getting it. And it's, for us, it's kind of frustrating, but I love that Jesus and his patience and grace goes with it. Jesus is walking down the road, everything that has happened, and two guys are extremely downcast. It says their face were downcast. So just picture the mood, the spirit of these two men, uh, head down, spirit down. They had hoped. It's said they had hoped Jesus was going to be the one to redeem Israel. They, they thought he was going to be a political leader. He was going to redeem their nation. He was going to rise up and take power. They had put their hope he was going to be the guy. He was going to save them. He was going to rescue them. But, but now he's dead, and now there's rumors that his body is gone, and maybe he's alive, maybe he's not. And just picture the confusion. Picture the sorrow Anything that you'd hope for, just hope, just crushed. And they're walking seven miles. So think about being sad and then thinking about being sad and having to walk seven miles. (laughs) That might have been normal for them, but that still sounds terrible. So they're on the road and Jesus strolls up casually with them and as you read just begins a conversation what are you guys talking about no tell me tell me about this and and they go on to tell Jesus about himself don't you love that going to tell Jesus about himself and then in verse 25 I love how Jesus opens it up for him I love how Jesus gets right to the point. He, he says how foolish you are and how slow to believe. He's like, guys, you know the scriptures. You know what the prophets spoke of. You know what the Old Testament said. You know it. You've been exposed to it, but you have totally missed it. Did you know exposure to something doesn't equal understanding of something? These guys had been there. These guys had had heard it. They knew the scriptures. They knew what was prophesied about Jesus, but they totally missed it. And then verse number 27, it's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible because I wish I could have been there. It says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explains to them what was said in the scriptures. And then look at this, concerning himself. So Jesus preaches a sermon about Jesus. The Son of God is explaining about the Son of God. He's preaching a message about himself. And it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets in the Old Testament. So so here's what he's telling us. This whole book, and we did a whole collection on this in October. If you weren't part of our church in October, go back and check the podcast. It's called Billboards. It's this idea that all of the prophets, the Old Testaments, their stories and their people, but all of them are actually billboards pointing towards something to come, pointing towards something that's greater. And Jesus is letting us know what they were pointing to. He says, all of the scriptures are pointing towards me. They're about me. He explained how they're all about himself. And I don't know if this message was a 20-minute message. I don't know if this message was a two-hour message. I don't know how long it was. But I would have wanted to hear Jesus picking through the scriptures, explaining how they're all about him. How many would want to hear that message? I would want to hear that. I'm just picturing Jesus explaining when his people were slaves in Egypt and the plagues were hitting. And and they were going to kill the firstborn, was going to go through. And in order to have your firstborn saved to avoid the wrath, you had 
had to take blood and paint it on the doorpost. And if you had the blood covering your house, you were safe. And I'm picturing about how Jesus was explaining to them, hey, that was foreshadowing my blood that was going to be shed so that if you have faith in me, you're safe from the wrath of God. I'm picturing how Jesus was explaining the story of Joseph and how Joseph was abandoned and rejected by his own people, by his own family. But yet God raised him up to a place of power so that his his family ended up coming to him for help. And the same people that rejected him and gave him away, Joseph extended grace to and Joseph saved and Joseph raised up. And I'm picturing Jesus saying, hey, Joseph was a picture of what I would do to you. I would be rejected by you. You would go your own way, yet I'm going to give my life for you. I'm going to raise you up and I'm going to save you in spite of the fact that you rejected me. I'm picturing Jesus talking about Abraham and when he was told to sacrifice his son Isaac and he was getting ready to sacrifice his one and only son, but God provided an animal in the bush and and how Jesus would say, hey, we, we, we spared his son Isaac that day from the sacrifice, but God, he didn't spare his son. He sent his son Jesus and he died as the sacrificial lamb to cover your sins. And on and on and on we could go about how the Old Testament and the prophets beginning with Moses pointing towards Jesus and Jesus is saying to them and explaining to them while they're on this road, it was all about me. It was all about me. It was all pointing towards Me, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down. The message of God is redemption through the Son of God. Hey, what's this whole book about? There's lots of things, there's lots of stories, there's lots of time periods covered. What is the message of God? What is the main point? What is is the, the cornerstone? What is the foundation of our faith? What is God's message? The message of God is redemption through the Son of God. And it's weaved all throughout the scriptures and Jesus himself declares it about himself. It's all about me. It was all pointing towards me. You know, if you were to just put it in as plain terms as you can be, why are you a Christian? Why, why are you a Christ follower? Here's, here's why I'm a Christ follower as plainly as I can say it. Because there was a guy who died for me and came back to life. Like, is this some religious, you know, ideologies? No, no, no. There was a guy who died and came back to life. That's that's what my faith is in. My faith is in that guy who claimed to be God and died and came back to life. This is the message of God. It's redemption through the Son of God, through the person of Jesus. Look, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what attitude God would have portrayed, look at Jesus. If we want to know the conversations God would have had, look at Jesus. It tells us this in Colossians, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. What is Colossians telling us? Hey, Jesus is God. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. Jesus is God with flesh and bone. He was God that came to dwell among us, to live among us. How does God act? How does God walk? How does God talk? How does God graciously forgive and interact with humanity? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. 
And my proposal to us this morning is that the message of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, is not just the message of God, but my proposal is that it should be the message of our life. That, that the person of Jesus, the message of Jesus, should be the message of our life and should be the message of our church. We should be a church with a clear, focused, concise message, and our message is Jesus. Even the Apostle Paul decided to make this true about his life. In 1 Corinthians 2, he said it like this, I have resolved to know nothing. Which, by the way, Paul was a very sharp guy. He was a great leader. He was very educated. Paul could have made his life about many things. Paul had options, in other words. He says, hey, resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Hey, Paul, what's your message? What is your life about? There was this guy, he died, and he came back to life. Jesus Christ crucified. That was his message. That was his focus. That was his heartbeat. Why, why should our message be Jesus? I've got three things for us this morning. The first thing is the message of Jesus is hope filled. The message of Jesus is hope filled. Come on, anybody grateful that the message of Jesus is one of hope? The word gospel means good news. It's one of hope. Jesus says in John 3, he's telling us why he came. Why did God put on flesh and come down to earth? Why did God put his fullness into humanity in Jesus? Why did he do this? John 3, 17, it says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. So, so he didn't come to slam us. Which, by the way, this is an interesting text because the only one who could actually condemn us was Jesus. So the only one that could condemn us didn't come to condemn us. <laughs> but on the contrary, to save the world through him. Look, God didn't come to slam us. He came to save us. The only one who could have condemned didn't come to condemn. He came to rescue. This is a message full of hope. It's good news. Somebody say good news. Come on, say it better than that. Say good news. This is good news. And this is so important because me and you, I might not know all the details about your life, but I know this to be true about you and everybody in your life. You are hardwired for hope. You're hardwired for hope. Like the, the, the knowledge, the desire that things can get better, that there are solutions, that there's greater days ahead, hopeful for something out there, hopeful for something greater than yourself. You are hardwired for hope. Show me somebody that's discouraged. Show me someone that's downcast. I'll show you someone that has lost hope in one or many areas of their life. This whole pandemic season, I'm convinced it's been so debilitating for so many in our country, so many in our culture, not just because of the health aspect of it or all the ways it's shifted our life. I'm convinced that it's taking the emotional toll that it is on our nation because it's a situation that doesn't have a lot of hope. Like there's no quick solution. Like you look out into the forecast of it and there's not a clear, easy answer end in sight. It's kind of muddy. It's kind of cloudy. You don't know what it's going to look like 60 days from now. We don't know what, what life will be like a year from now. It's, it's an opportunity that doesn't have tons of hope. And how many know when there's no hope, your, your spirit gets crushed? 
fact, the Proverbs would say it like this, Proverbs 13, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Hey, hope in something that's short, man, that's life-giving to your soul. But somewhere where you see no hope, you see no brighter days, you see no solutions, Proverbs would say that makes your heart sick. I think right now, I think there's a lot of people in our world, in our church, in our city with with a sick heart because they don't see a lot of hope. And what I want to tell us this morning is the message of Jesus is a message loaded with hope. The person of Jesus is a person loaded with hope. Jesus gives us hope right now. The message of Jesus is hope for right now. It's hope for today. It's hope for today that your past doesn't have to determine your future. Because of the redeeming power of God, the mistakes in your past don't have to define your future. Because of the redeeming power of God, the things that have plagued your family for generations don't have to continue with you because God can redeem it and God can change it. There's hope for today in Jesus. There's hope for today that God is a miracle working God. During this time of prayer and fasting, we're believing and I'm praying with you and believing for you and for our church. We're going to see miracles. We're going to see God do things that people hear and see and look at. And they're like, yeah, that was God. Because God is a God of miracles. God is a God of the impossible. There's, There's always hope because nothing's impossible with God. Even when times are tough, I have hope right now because God gives me strength and faith even to endure and get through difficulty. God gives me hope right now. But even more importantly than hope today is the message of Jesus gives me hope eternally. The message of Jesus gives me hope for forever that one day when we're with him there will be no more pandemics there will be no more tears there will be no more injustice there will be no more hurricanes there will be no more sorrow or loss or pain but one day when we're with him for all of eternity we can have hope that all the wrong will be made right and he will wipe away every tear Jesus offers me hope for eternity that if I'm a follower of Jesus the best is really yet to come because I'm on my way to be with him look did you know if you're a follower of Jesus this earth and everything you face here is as bad as it's ever going to get this is the worst it's going to get because we're on our way to eternity with him the idea of eternity and hope for eternity uh, in, in the church a lot of times has been like not necessarily like a positive thing. Have you guys ever like heard this or felt this? It's kind of been like a scare tactic. Like, Jesus is coming. You better get your, you know, like get your life together. Because like the idea of Jesus coming back in eternity is like, has been used as a scare tactic. But what's interesting is that's not how the Bible views it at all. The second to last verse in all of the Bible, it's John, he's writing and, and he, he says about Jesus is saying, yes, I am coming soon. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. Here's how this is portrayed in culture. Oh no, Jesus coming. Oh no, get ready. Oh no, oh no. Look, what, look how John responds to Jesus' coming. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. Jesus is coming. Awesome. I can't wait. Come on. What is that? Hope. That's hope that, man, when Jesus comes, it's going to be so much better. Man, eternity is going, to, it's going to be unthinkable how great eternity is going to be. He says, Jesus is coming. Come on. Yes. Yes. I'm ready. The Apostle Paul even said this in Philippians chapter 1. He said, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is 
better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So he's writing to this church. He's like, guys, I'm really torn right now. I know it's better for your sake if I'm here. Like y'all need some help. I know it's better if I'm here and I'm instructing you, but I'm going to be honest. I'm kind of torn because I just want to get out of here and go be with Jesus, which is far better, by the way. (laughs) I love how he says that. He's like low-key savage. You know, he's like, Jesus is way better than you guys, you know. But the Apostle Paul, what did he have thinking about being with Christ? It was hope. He's like, oh, man, that's so that's like I know I'm here and I know I'm doing what God's called me to do. But, man, I got hope. I just want to be with Christ one day. The message of Jesus gives you hope, not just for today, but it gives you hope for all of eternity. And I just want to speak that over somebody today who who feels like the proverb says, you just got a sick heart because you're looking out on the landscape of your life and you don't see a lot of hope. I just want to believe God's going to inject some hope into you. Maybe not that the situation will work out exactly like you wanted, but that Jesus will prove to be Jesus in your life right now and give you hope for eternity. It's a message of hope. The second thing is the message of Jesus is a message full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. In John chapter 1, John tells us when Jesus came, he came full of two things. Came full of grace and full of truth. I love he wasn't half grace, half truth, full grace, full truth. It's both. Both of these things are vital. And the order of these things is also vital. He didn't come full of truth and grace. He came full of grace and truth. I love that God leads with grace. Anybody thankful for this? God leads with grace. So let's talk about these, grace and truth. Grace. It's the undeserved, unmerited favor of God in your life. Anybody thankful for this? The undeserved, unmerited favor of God in my life. That if I got what I deserve from God, I would be done. I, I, I am, am owed nothing from God, but in his grace, he has forgiven me and he loves me and I'm his son. And, and you, you are owed nothing from God, but God's grace has been poured out on you and he's forgiven you and he loves you. Anybody thankful for the grace of God today? I'm thankful for God's grace because when I fall down, his grace picks me up. I'm thankful today that no matter what you've done or no matter what you walked in here with, I can tell you today that the grace of God is sufficient to cover your weakness. You say, Nate, no, I've fallen too much. I've gone too far. The grace of God would say otherwise the grace of God it's so good it's so undeserved God came full of grace it gives us the power to get back up we see this dynamic of grace and truth in John chapter 8 there's a woman that's caught in the act of adultery and the church leaders drag her out and they're kind of trying to corner Jesus they're trying to trap Jesus and see what Jesus would do they bring this woman caught in adultery to Jesus and uh, they they're they're trying to stone her they want to kill her for what she had done and by the way the old testament law would have justified that so they're not like making stuff up according to the law this woman could have and should have been stoned to death because of what she had done. And they bring her before Jesus and they ask Jesus about it. And the scriptures say in John chapter eight, you need to go read it. He, he gets down and he begins to write with his finger in the dirt. And this is really interesting to study because the scripture doesn't tell us what he wrote or what he said or what happened. It just said that one by one, all the guys that had drugged this girl out here began to walk away. They began to leave. And it's almost like I think Jesus began to write in the dirt, the dirt of the other guys. 
So one by one, them guys are like, oh, dang. <laughs> and then it's just Jesus and this woman now at this point. And here's what John chapter 8, verse 10 says. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? It's like, they're gone. Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And then look at this. Neither do I condemn you. What is that? Grace. Look, Jesus was the only guy in that circle that could have condemned her. All the other guys couldn't. They had their own garbage. They had their own dirt. Jesus, he didn't have anything. He could have justly condemned her. But the only one that could looked at her and said, I don't. What is that? Grace. It's the grace of God in all of our lives that he comes into our mess. He gets down in the dirt. I love that God gets down in the dirt of humanity and he looks at me and he looks at you because of the cross and he says, neither do I condemn you. It's grace. Where would we be without God's grace? What, what would our lives be without God's grace? We need God's grace. And, and John says he came full of grace. Full of grace. In other words, he's got plenty of it because we need plenty of it. But he didn't just come full of grace. He came full of truth. He came full of grace and truth. And we see this in John chapter 8 as well. He says, neither do I condemn you. And then look at his next words. He says, now go and leave your life of sin. What is this? Truth. So, so now he's saying, hey, what you did was sin. Hey, what you did, you shouldn't keep doing it. So, so now go back and leave the life that you just lived. He led with grace, but he followed it with truth. Grace gives you the power to get up. Truth tells you where to go once you get up. I don't want to say that again. Grace gives you the power to get up, but truth gives you direction once you're back up. And it's vital that Jesus was full of both of these and our message has to be full of both of these because if you get one without the other, it'll mess things up. And people don't like grace and truth, by the way. There's plenty of people that don't like grace. Religious people don't like grace because they look at people that they think their sin is worse than theirs, which by the way, to God, sin is sin. And so people that have a spirit of the Pharisees like Jesus dealt with, they will look at people's sin and, and they, they will feel higher than them. And they, they don't like grace because they don't think God can forgive somebody that's so bad. They need to be better. They think God only forgives small sins, not big sins. And so people that have a spirit of religion don't like grace. I served God my whole life. I lived like this my whole life. And that person did that their whole life. And you mean God's going to forgive them right before they die? Yes. Grace. Undeserved. Unmerited. Favor. Person with the spirit of religion doesn't like grace. And just a lot of people don't like truth. <laughs> like I love that God gets me up, but once I'm up, don't tell me where to go. I know what, where I went got me on the ground, but now I'm going to use my own knowledge that got me on the ground to help me not get on the ground anymore. It's vital that we have both grace and truth. Look, I want you to write this down. Grace without truth is destructive. All my parents in the room, if you got your kid running around a busy road during rush hour, 
and you get them out real quick and you, you, you give them grace. Oh, hey, it's okay, don't do that. I saved you, it's okay, it's okay. How many know if you don't give them the truth of don't go back again, that's destructive. Like I know you saved them out of the bad situation, but they don't just need grace, they need truth. Don't go back. Grace without truth is destructive. Truth without grace is mean. Talking to some church people in the room today. Love some truth. No, truth's got to be followed. Truth's got to follow grace. But look at this. Grace and truth is beautiful. Grace and truth is beautiful. The message of Jesus doesn't just give me the power to move forward. It gives me the direction to move in. And look, church, we got to do this right. We got to do this in order. If Jesus is our message, we've got to be a church. We've got to be a people full of grace and truth. And for a long time, the church has been known to be all about truth and not about a lot of grace. And I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you, we got to do this right and we got to do this in order. Look, I've played in basketball leagues and all these different softball leagues at churches and whatnot. And there's people that don't know Jesus there that are playing in the league because people like sports and I like sports. And so we're around a bunch of, you know, we're, we're playing ball in a church with people that don't know Jesus. What a great opportunity to share Jesus. What a great opportunity to love somebody. And there's church people there that are angry at the people coming from the city because they're cussing playing basketball. What they don't know is I'm a pastor and I want to cuss when I play basketball. <laughs> like, hold on. You want somebody that doesn't know Jesus to act like they know Jesus. Is this all right? Is this, is this, you guys good with this? You want somebody that has not been transformed by the grace of God to live like they've been transformed by the grace of God. No, no, no. It's the grace of God that does the transforming and the motivating to live out the truth of God. So, so we as a church have got to be full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. Grace and truth and truth. I'm going to help you up and show you where to go. I don't condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. Grace and truth. Number three. Number three is this. The message of Jesus addresses my greatest need. The message of Jesus addresses my greatest need. I'd like to propose to you this morning that your greatest need is way more spiritual than you think it is. Your greatest need, your greatest problem is way more spiritual than you think. So, you know, Nate, like my boss is kind of at work. I'm trying to figure out this, you know, it's like, ah, it's, that's fine. You know, all my roommate situation, I'm trying to figure out, you know, all my car's transmission is, you know, all, all, those are, all those are problems. All those are, they're fine. God cares about all that. That's not your greatest need. Your greatest need is way more spiritual than you think. Your greatest need, your greatest problem is a sin problem. That because of your sin, you have been separated from a holy God. You've been separated from the very thing that your soul was created for, and that was fellowship with God. Your soul was created to be in relationship with God. Psalm 63 says it like this. It's David. He says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. And then look at this. I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. He's, he's like, God, my soul longs for you. I, 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 I was created to be in fellowship with you. This is true about your life. You're created to be in fellowship with God. 
But because of my sin, because of your sin, that fellowship has been broken and there is nothing that this world can offer that can satisfy uh, the need for our soul to be in a relationship with God. And we all know this, by the way. This might be the first time you've heard it articulated like this, but you know this. You know this because some of the richest people in the world are some of the most miserable people in the world. You know this because some of the most popular people on the planet are the most lonely people on the planet. You know this because some of the people that are so successful that you look at and you dream about, they have everything you want, yet they're the most miserable, unfulfilled people you'd ever meet. Why? Because your soul wasn't made for any of that stuff. Your soul was made to be in relationship with God. Look, your greatest need is not spiritual assistance. It's a spiritual rescue. We aren't struggling without Christ, but we are dead without Christ. Spiritually speaking, we, we, we aren't spiritually struggling if we don't have Jesus. We're spiritually dead. I want you to write this down. Jesus didn't come as a crutch to help you. He came as a savior to save you. I'm gonna ask Chris to come help me back up as I finish. Jesus didn't come as a crutch to help us. He came as a savior to save us. I hear this about Christianity a lot. I don't need a crutch. Christianity is a crutch. I don't need a crutch. I'm good. I, I can cover mine. Look, Christianity is not a crutch for people that need assisting. Christianity is a rescue mission for people that are dead. You know what dead people can do for themselves? Nothing. Spiritually, we're not limping. Spiritually, we're not struggling. Spiritually, without Jesus, we're dead, the scripture says. So the message of Jesus addresses our greatest need because it's not a need of, of a nice little encouragement, assist. No, 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 it's a rescue mission. Jesus came to make dead things live. It's a rescue mission. I was thinking about it like this, and I've shared this story before. Maybe some of you have heard it. I remember the first time that we went to um, Sky Zone. Anybody ever been to Sky Zone over, um, you know, a little indoor trampoline park kind of place? And, you know, me and my brothers went there, and uh, I love it because I can dunk a basketball there. Let's <laughs> go. And, uh, you know, they got all kinds of, like, zones and different areas and stuff like that. And they had the foam pit, the giant foam pit. Anybody seen this before? Play this. So... They got a platform almost like this. It's elevated, and there's trampolines on the end of it. And so you just get in line, and when it's your turn, you just run. You jump on the trampoline, and you just lunge yourself, launch yourself into the giant pit of foam. And it's, you know, super fun. You flip, dive, do whatever you want. Giant foam blocks. And uh, that thing swallows you if you've ever done this. My brother went ahead of me, and he just, like, disappeared and was struggling to get out. And I'm, like, making fun of him because he can't get out. And then I get in there, and I'm like, dang, I'm stuck. This is hard. You know, you see people just get swallowed. And I remember this kid was in front of us. And um, kid, you know, maybe eight, nine years old or whatever, goes, runs, and jumps. And, um, he, you know, he does his little scream thing. Like, ah! And then when he hits the foam, gone. Ah! Whoop! So he's like gone, you know, kind of buried, got swallowed by it. So we're sitting here waiting. Like we can't go until he gets out, right? So we're sitting here waiting, waiting, waiting. And, and you kind of see him struggling. You see the foam blocks kind of moving and shifting and stuff. And you kind of like see his head and his hands come up. He's, ah, and then he goes back down. And it's like, it's like 20 seconds, which seems like forever, by the way. Like 20 seconds, 30 seconds. And it's like kind of cute. It's kind of funny. He's like, oh, after like a minute, it's annoying. 
It's like, all right, bro, come, get, you know, there's a line, you know. And his dad is even realizing this. His dad comes up and he's like, you know, hey, come, come on. You know, come. he's like encouraging him and all this kind of stuff. It had been two minutes. Again, this feels like forever, forever. And you pay by the hour. So I'm sitting here like, I'm losing money, you know, like sitting here, sitting here. Finally, the employee at Sky Zone just realized, he's like, this dude, the dude's stuck. Dude swallowed. It's like seven, eight feet out there. So the employee from Sky Zone jumps in the foam pit, like pushes through. You know, you can't walk in that stuff. It's just like, he's just like wading through it. Goes down, picks his kid up. Like literally got the kid on his shoulders, like giving the kid like just piggyback ride through the foam. Turns around and he goes and he brings the kid back up onto the platform and puts him back in line. And, and the whole time I'm sitting here thinking about this, and I'm like, oh, man, if this, this isn't a picture of Jesus. Good news of Jesus addressing our greatest need is not that, that you're kind of struggling and Jesus can toss you a rope to assist your way out. No, that's not the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus is not like, oh, you're having a good time and there's some spiritual encouragement to help you, to, you know, get yourself out over time. No, that's not the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus is you and me spiritually are dead. We are stuck. You ain't getting out. But Jesus came to address our greatest need in that he left heaven and he came to earth and he put on flesh and he lived among us and he picks us up and he sets our feet on a solid rock. He came to make those who were spiritually dead spiritually alive. He came so that we might be in relationship with God again. The message of Jesus, oh, it's hope-filled. It's full of grace and it's full of truth. And the message of Jesus speaks to and addresses our greatest need. And that's why as a church and that's why as a people we are committed and our number one value is Jesus is our message. We got a message of hope. We got a message of grace and truth. We got a message that addresses the need and longing of every person in all humanity, across generations, across cultures. We've got the, the answer and his name is Jesus. And that's why he's our message. And that's our message as a church and that's what I want my message in my life to be about and that's what I pray for us as people that we will be people who are about the message of Jesus. And when you come into this church and you meet some people, shout out to our serve team that serves every week. You meet some people that come in, that check you in, that check your kids in at Oasis Kids, that serve in Oasis Kids, and you're meeting people and you're in relationship and you're talking. What, what's the vibe you're getting? What are they talking about? What are these people about? Here's our prayer, Jesus. Hey, man, there's some really cool people. There's some people, they don't all look like me. They're all interested in other things than me. Their kids are different ages than me, all these things. But hey, we're all about the same person, Jesus. I love it's a picture of the body of Christ that from different generations and different interests and different parts of our city and different ages, different ethnicities, we come together and say, Jesus is our message. Jesus is what unifies us. And that's a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. Jesus is our message. And I pray that would be true about your life. If you haven't given your life to Jesus today, I, the most important thing you could ever do to satisfy the longing of your soul, I'm telling you, put your faith in Jesus. Say, how do I do that, Nate? Well, the kid that was there, he couldn't do anything to get himself out, and you can't do anything to save yourself. All you need to do is acknowledge and call out to the one who can. 
and then you'll experience today God's grace. And after you've experienced his grace and his grace starts to transform your life, you'll start to get into God's truth. And the crazy part about it is once you experience God's grace, you'll actually want to follow his truth. You'll be motivated to follow it because you've been forgiven. That's, that's what's true about so many people in this church and that's what we want to be true about you. And that's what we want to be true about everybody in our city, amen? So Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the person of Jesus. Lord, like those two men walking that seven-mile road after they broke bread with Jesus, the scriptures just tell us their eyes were open and their hearts were burning and they knew he was God. Father, I pray for us as a church family that you would just do that to us today. Lord, would you open our hearts to see you more clearly today? God, would our hearts burn with the passion that our life has got to be about Jesus. That the people at my work, they got to know about Jesus. People in my neighborhood, the people in our city, they've got to know about Jesus because it's a message of hope. It's a message that speaks to our greatest needs. So Lord, give us a heart that burns for the person, for the message of Jesus. Father, for anybody in the room today that hasn't trusted you with their life, Lord, I pray they would give their life to you today. Father, thank you for giving us hope for today. And thank you for giving us hope for all of eternity. And Lord, in response, we want to give you our life. So Lord, we love you today. We surrender fresh to you today. Lord, I pray over these next two weeks as we as a church seek your face through prayer and fasting, Lord, speak to us. Lord, pour out your presence over our homes. Pour out your presence in our lives that we may experience you in a great way over these next two weeks. Father, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's podcast. Hey, if this content was helpful and encouraging to you, you could help us out by leaving a review or sharing it with the people in your life. I know it would bless them. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.